Welcome to the Creative Agency Account Manager podcast. I'm Jenny Plant and I'm on a mission to help account managers understand the agency business and develop an entrepreneurial mindset in their role so they can show up as a commercially aware advisor to their clients rather than a reactive order taker. My guest today is Gustavo Rossetti, who I'll introduce in a moment, but he's going to share some very thought-provoking insights for agency leaders and agency teams, including, number one, how remote working is only amplifying the positive and the negative aspects of your agency culture that were already present, as well as how to fix the issues. Number two, how to make your remote brainstorming meetings more effective and powerful. Number three, why agencies need to strike a balance between being overly protective and having respectful friction. And number four, how agencies celebrate individualism and how to correct this. And frankly, so much more. And if you enjoy the chat, I'd highly recommend that you follow Gustavo on LinkedIn. Go to his website, gustavorosetti.com, and where you can download some of his free resources, as well as investing in his book, which is called Remote Not Distant, because it's really packed full of useful information. So let's go to the intro now. Today, I'm thrilled to have Gustavo Rossetti. He's the CEO of Fearless Culture, a workplace culture consulting firm. Now, Gustavo is a very sought after speaker, culture consultant, and best selling author of four books, including his latest, Remote Not Distant, a roadmap to build a strong culture for remote and hybrid teams. His work has been featured in the New York Times, the BBC, Fortune magazine, Psychology Today, and many, many more. Given many agencies are still grappling with remote work, I've invited Gustavo on to discuss this topic and share his thoughts and insights. And the reason his insights are particularly relevant for agencies is because he has a long history of working in the agency space, so understands really well our industry. Gustavo's roles included EVP Managing Director for Leadership Development, Culture Change and Innovation for Leo Burnett in Chicago and CEO for Euro RSCG Latino New York. And I just want to give a big shout out to Pete Armstrong for putting us in touch. So a very warm welcome, Gustavo. Thank you, Jenny. And thank you everyone for listening. Very excited to be here. As I was mentioning, I'm having a huge cold, but I'm doing my best to hopefully have a fun conversation. Listen, I really appreciate it. And you've come off the back of a two and a half hour workshop. So I'm really squeezing you dry here. I understand that. So let's dive into the questions. The first question I wanted to ask you, Gustavo, is why did you write the book? Great question. Do you want me to give you the PR answer or the real one? The real one. The real one. <laughs> no, to be honest, I was writing a book on culture. So you mentioned I work in marketing advertising for over two decades, and then I started working on the culture field, so workplace culture. And I was writing a book on culture design, sharing my methodology, and then the pandemic hit. I was writing a lot of stuff on how to keep a culture alive, despite working remotely, especially with companies were like uh, adapting because they weren't used to it. And people say, well, why didn't you write a book about it? So basically it's a, a, I wouldn't say it's a hybrid because the work talks about hybrid work, but actually it's a work that talks about how to build culture in a remote or hybrid workplace. While many books that talk about remote, they focus on certain areas. For me, it was about what I call the ABCs of culture. So alignment, 
belonging and collaboration. So are the three areas that I tackle in my book to make sure that we can uh, work as a great team. ABC, very, very nice. It's easy to remember. Alignment, belonging and culture. I love it. Now, collaboration, sorry. And that's collaboration, right. sorry, yeah, that's yeah, my thought, yeah, collaboration. Yeah, yeah, it's um, so let's talk specifically about agencies because actually I think everybody should read this book because some agencies initially moved to a remote first model when the pandemic hit, but then struggled or have struggled and many have returned to either a partly remote with fixed collaboration days model or an office first with occasional flexibility to work from home approach. Can you share, Gustavo, your observations of what's happened and what you think the optimum approach for agencies should be? Absolutely. I think it's important to put a little bit of context to your point. Most agencies work in person their whole life. And I remember running agencies myself that when people have to work remotely for whatever reason, or maybe they were in one office that was the one or two people in one branch, it, they felt like excluded from the team. It felt that the magic wasn't there. However, and I know people who are running mid-sized agencies that not only adapted through the pandemic, but then ended running their business in a remote or, or a hybrid model, and they were successful. I think that the biggest challenge is to reframe the way we operate. So I don't know there's a right or wrong model. So I think each company needs to find their own. What we need to make sure is that we don't force the model before going through a mindset shift. So let me give you an example. I work to Stanford, this school, learning about design thinking, brainstorming. I know it's about post-its and running everyone in the same room, high energy, blah, blah, blah. So when you have to work remote, you feel, well, what's the energy in the room? However, working with tools like Mural or Miro, other collaboration tools, we've learned facilitating activities with teams that, hey, we can give people a time to write their thoughts before they share. So yeah, maybe it feels that the energy is not there, but we are welcoming lots of people that are more introverts that re require a time to think before they talk. And I know that in the advertising agency, usually the louder voices are the ones who are heard the most, but we have great creatives that are more introverts. And sometimes they need to pretend that they're really loud to be listened to or busy to, to belong. So I think that the question is, first of all, rethinking the way we operate. Second is don't just give people the freedom to work from home for the sake of it. Do it with a purpose, the same way that when you get together, when you work in the same place, do it with a purpose. So one thing that we realize, it doesn't make sense to go to an office, to stay in the same cubicle, to do things that we can do from home, from the train, from a coffee shop, whatever, right? So this requires that even if you spend three days or the full week together in the same physical space, you need to reframe and rethink how that relationship works. So don't invite people just to the office because that's the way. I mean, in the past, there were in offices, right? At some point, people work from home. Then someone created the offices because of big cities to grab everyone together in a centralized fashion. And now we realize that, okay, we can go into a more decentralized model and still work. For example, Slack, the, the app, they have a, a practice that each team depending on your nature, has a different cadence. So for example, if you're in production, broadcast production, of course you need to be in the field because you're going to be working. But maybe there are some areas that are either administrative or client management that you don't need to be as close. So 
rather than having a one-size-fits-all approach, maybe you need to think by department rather than as a whole. What other kind of principles would you say are relevant? So obviously, you know, reframe how the, the relationship, use these tools to enhance the collaboration. And maybe it makes sense to go back to your ABC model to give some kind of core principles, because I'm sure a lot of agency leaders are listening to this thinking, okay, it's not really working. I'm not sure exactly why, but symptomatically, I'm seeing things happening. So for example, I'll give you a real life example. One agency owner I was talking to said that while they're using Teams, there were side conversations going on. So they weren't participating in the main conversation. It was almost like side conversations that weren't relevant to the main conversation. So there's some symptoms happening. How would you advise an agency owner to think about this reframing and put the basic principles in place so that they can build a strong culture that also works remotely? Yeah, the first part, and I know many people don't like when I, I speak to CEOs, large companies, I talk about this is like the, it's not the remote or the pandemic as a disruptor, it, it changed how we work. It basically accelerated what was already happening. So it amplified both the good and the bad within organizations. So these side conversations are not a result of using teams. They are things that were happening before and now they are more evident. So people were having, I mean, I just facilitated a session with an executive team in San Francisco, and I had to stop them three times because we're talking about something really critical for the company. There were always people joking that that exists. That's not a remote or not remote. It's a culture thing. It, first, because it needs to be codified. Are we good with that? Usually side conversations are about like dis distractions or criticism. Maybe people have great points and instead of sharing with a bigger group, they're keeping it to a smaller one. Second, it's also a sign that we have too many people in the meeting. So sometimes because you invite too many people, people get bored, they don't have a role, so they start doing something else. Third, because companies don't do anything, some companies reward a, a multitasking. So now that we realize the value of asynchronous work, so not everything needs to happen in a meeting. We can do pre-work, so we come to a meeting prepared, we spend more effective part, then we can continue. So for example, we discuss ideas and then each one breaks down and they continue working on the ideas and then we regroup. We don't need to meet every time. So I think that also it's about being more mindful that multitasking shouldn't be allowed in meetings. Right. So that allows also. And the other thing is many meetings are really badly designed. They're long. They don't have a clear agenda, not agenda in terms of topic, but agenda in terms of flow. And especially in a creative industry, people get bored and they go somewhere else. Right. So if you were invited in by an agency and they wanted to kind of relook at their culture and their collaboration and wait, you know, to see if there was any existing things that were happening that is only going to be magnified by working remotely. What's under the bonnet? What's under the hood of the engine room that we need to fix or have in place to then build upon it ways of working remotely? 
One thing that I mentioned, loud voices. In many organizations, especially in creative industries, not only in ad agencies, being the loudest voice in the room is associated with being smarter, with whatever. No? So there are some creatives that are great thinking on their feet and throwing stuff here and there or reacting to a, to a new idea while other people need time. And I think that's something that the creative industry needs to kind of rethink right? The power struggles, the different biases, a lot of favoritism. Every creative director have their teams that are their favorites, others are not. And I always say, we're not going to change those things, right? The biases or favoritism, what we need to be is more aware that they exist and be okay with it, right? Rather than change our human nature, say, okay, you always going to have people that you get along great or better, but be mindful not to be leaving people outside of the conversation. I think that happens a lot. Right. And one thing that we realize as well is, uh, and, and Pixar, for example, has done this for many years, is having like the two teams working with each other. Usually in, in agencies, people pitch for a project or you have two teams pitching and the one who come up with the best idea or whatever, they get to develop it. But what doesn't happen is the feedback to each other. In some agencies they do, but it's more like a organically that well designed so to speak so for example in pixar you have one team working on a movie and then another team comes and they give feedback about the movie that these guys are creating they call them ugly babies because you know at the very beginning each idea sucks i know that people don't like the analogy of metaphor because everyone thinks that their babies are nice but we know that newborns are not so nice and the same happens with creative ideas so at some point we need to nurture them and the approach, and I think this is critical, and you can do this in any setting, is that the team that provides feedback are very respectful about the people. So they don't judge the people who create, they focus on the ideas, and their team can take it or leave it. So they are not forced to take the feedback, but also, even if their team comes with a better idea or they, they are not going to steal the movie from the team. In many agencies, I've seen that sometimes, you know, you start with an idea, it's still on the works, very like ugly baby stage kind of, so to speak. And then another team comes and say, hey, we can do this. And then, oh, great. So now we're going to work on that. And I think that's something that's not good because it harms psychological safety. It feels like, oh, well, the guys that came second, they didn't start from scratch. We already gave them something to build up, no? So I think that collaboration is something that we need to learn a lot in the industry. And I think that's something that it's under the hood, going back to your metaphor, and we need to tackle that. No? So we promote in the advertising industry a lot of individualism, right? And many times there are a lot of people that are, it's like a, like a kitchen of a famous restaurant. We praise the chef, but there's a huge army behind that that are making things possible. And sometimes much more than we think, but because the name is attached to one individual, we think that person does everything. And that's something we can definitely correct. Okay. And how much responsibility does the leadership team have to address this? Because you're right, there is often a power struggle and there are individuals who have louder voices. And, you know, we could say, take the example of a creative agency where you have a senior creative person that is almost godlike because they're the ones that ultimately the person that has the creative result. So talk to me about, if you can, the leadership role in how they, is it down to them to address it? And if so, how? Yes and no, right? One thing that happens is usually when there's something broken in culture, people say, well, leaders need to fix it. And leaders have a huge responsibility, but culture is the result of every interaction, right? So if a culture goes wrong, maybe the leader is modeling the wrong thing, 
But if people don't speak up, if they don't challenge their leaders, if they adapt in a passive way, then we're all uh, guilty as charged. So I think that leaders, there are two ways we talk about culture. One is we need to define the culture that we want. Then leaders need to demonstrate, but leaders also need to demand from people. So there's part of the response. It's like parents, right? You as a parent need to model certain behaviors that you want your children to basically uh, respect. But also you need to set rules. Okay, but you guys need to... So it's not about... Usually when there's a problem, people say, ah, the parents. Well, yeah, but if the kids... (laughs) <laughs> do their things, you know. So it's a two-way street, a two-way conversation, and definitely leaders play a key role, but people also play politics. They feed that kind of a model as well, right? You use the term psychological safety. I'm sure many people listening understand that, but can you tell me from your perspective, just to clarify for those that perhaps aren't familiar with the term, what that actually means? Yeah, uh, and it's a great thing because psychological safety, and once again, Pixar is one of the examples that Amy Edmondson uh, includes in her book. Basically, it's about the feeling that my team is safe for me to take interpersonal risks. In plain English, that means that I can jump and the people are going to be there to hold me. So I can bring my full self to work. I can ask questions. I can say, I don't know. I can challenge my manager, my colleagues, and it's going to be okay, right? However, in many industries, people feel afraid of that. So you always need to show that you have the answer. You cannot say, well, I don't know how to do something. No, I have a lot of people that didn't master Photoshop or Illustrator, and they were asking people behind the scene because they didn't want to acknowledge. I'm talking about little things, but it's part of that unsafe space. However, one thing that's important is sometimes people confuse safety with safetyism, which is overly protective. The point about psychological safety is not to make people, oh, poor guys. No, it's about creating a space in which it's okay to have friction. I always say that without friction, there's no energy. Without energy, there's no creativity. So friction is welcome, but respectful friction and in a friction that when we leave the room, we're all cool. So no one... (laughs) And I think that's the purpose of psychological safety. In many companies now, they're what I call the psychological safety bubble, they're into an overly protective culture that no one needs to feel offended, whatever. If someone comes with an idea and it's not good, we need to tell them, look, go back, (laughs) start all over again, rather than try to be too protective. Just out of interest, have you seen that over the years of working in this space, Gustavo, that you've noticed that people are less and less likely to want the friction? Or do you think it's always been like that? I don't know. I work in, I mean, uh, there are agencies that were really harsh, where people like actually threw stuff at each other, people that grave directors that tore scripts into pieces or storyboards and say, this sucks. You guys don't know what you're doing. People crying and whatever, (laughs) and then back to normal. And then I work in, in places that were too friendly. I think that we need to find a balance. So cultures that are overly protective, overly friendly, then they end in groupthink, so the bar comes down. And cultures that are overly aggressive, they might get some good stuff in the short term, but then what they feed is internal competition and politics and people fighting against each other, so you don't want that either, right? So it's finding that balance between the two. I feel like you were a fly on the wall when I was working in an agency. I've had many a brief chucked at me back this is not good enough. Go back and do it again. So, uh, yeah, I feel your pain. You talked about leadership modeling the behaviors that they want to see in their teams. Do you think that is one step towards 
trying to create that environment where everyone feels safe by modeling the behavior that they want to see in the team? And if so, what else could a leader do to ensure that it's not overly protective, that they're striking that balance? Yeah, there are two things. First, it's the most powerful thing a leader can say is, I don't know. The ad business has been disrupted over the years and now with AI coming into town, things are getting worse and worse. Clients think, hey, I don't need people. Now AI is going to take over creativity, blah, 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 which in part is happening. And many people are not ready to shift because it's not only knowing about how technology operates, but it's also about letting go of the, okay, maybe technology can be as good as humans in certain areas, right? So there are people that are being defensive and dismiss the impact of AI. And there are people that say, well, AI is going to take over. For me, it's like we need to learn how to collaborate with AI, like another team member. And that requires a mindset shift. And that requires starting, hey, I don't know how to do it because people that are, I don't know, people that are in their 40s, 50s, or even over running businesses, agencies, they don't know. And they need to be honest with that. And I think by doing that, not only they are going to invite other team members that might be more experts on the subject, but also open conversations so people don't need to pretend that they do. Talking about psychological safety, the point about AI, people need to say, I'm using AI because it looks cool. So they use it like for some flashy stuff. But on the other hand, recognizing that you're using AI to take care of a copy or some image, whatever, then people might feel that you are cheating. So then they are using it, but they're hiding because it feels like embarrassing. If you So, you know, the, we're living in a very interesting dynamic that's affecting the workplace with this technology. And I think leaders need to do great work there. And the second part to wrap up is asking for help. The world is becoming complex, and we've been saying this since the, the 800s, not even the 1800s, right? Because it's always been complex for the generation that was living there. And I think that we need to realize that no one has all the expertise and skills and insights needed, and we need our team members. And that requires vulnerability to admit, hey, I need help, go and ask for help, and also trust that other people have some skills or know better in certain areas than we do. That's the basic uh, principle of collaboration. Some brilliant tips there. I'm sure lots of people are taking notes of what you're saying. You talk in your book about setting uh, a company and team purpose as a guiding North Star for ensuring that the, the team has alignment and to help with decision-making. Why is setting a purpose key? And also, can you share an example of what a good purpose looks like or an example of a purpose that a company has? Yeah, the point about purpose is people want to understand why I'm joining this company versus another. The jobs that we do don't change much from company to company. If you change agency, you're going to do almost the same stuff, of course, different client, different project, different context. But in the end, what are we trying to achieve? And sometimes the creative bar per se is not enough or the growth for the growth itself is not enough. So people need to find something that's a more a internal motivation, the why. Now, why do we exist? What are we trying to achieve? And so on. I know that many agencies are familiar about the team purpose because in the early 2000s, everything became purpose-driven. Brands should be purpose-driven, companies should. But in the end, most of those conversations were PR-ish, kind of, they weren't about real conversations. So having a purpose, it's about understanding what you say yes to and what you say no to. That's the toughest part. And you need to make sure that you align everything. Now, for example, 
I know that many people use Patagonia, but still it's one of the most wonderful purposes because they reframed theirs recently and a couple of years ago, and they say that they are in business to save the planet. That's a hell of a statement, and I'm not saying an agency should go that far, but I think this is a great example that it's not just a marketing lingo. Patagonia, for example, it focuses on products that are going to last longer, and if a jacket breaks, they're going to fix it for you because that's a way of protecting the planet. It goes against selling more. However, the paradox is people buy their products because they're in love with Patagonia. So it's an interesting cycle. So I think that what we're trying to achieve, that's basically what we're trying to do within defining a team purpose, right? And how does that help in practical kind of remote working settings when you've got a very defined purpose for the team and the agency, everyone understands it. How does that then translate to helping them working remotely or how does it help them avoid challenges? I think that it's a simple question about like, what can we do to better serve our mission or purpose, right? And see people's work. One of the issues that happens with remote or hybrid work is that leaders or managers are putting too much emphasis on the input. They're tracking hours, are people working? Ex- I know that in many agencies still they're working on a, a fees that are based on hourly rates. So you need to track how many hours people put, which goes against the value creation, right? Because you can spend fewer hours to come up with a great idea and many, many thousand hours to come up with crap, which is what usually happens. And for the agency business, the more work you put, regardless of the outcome, the more money you make. So that translates that we want to control our employees that they work a lot. But when we put the emphasis on how many hours people are working, how many emails they send, are they online? Are they joining Zoom meetings or Teams meetings? Then we miss what's the impact. So the quality of the work, are they doing great work? Are they doing work that is meaningful, great that's going to win awards, recognitions, going to move the clients a needle? I see. Okay. The golden thread running through our conversation so far, Gustavo, is the thing that's coming up for me is authenticity. It's kind of recognizing that with culture, there's already existing some underlying tensions and problems that kind of need to be fixed in order for remote working to be successful. Would you agree? So for example, if you've got a culture that's not really working, people aren't speaking up, They don't feel psychologically safe. That's just going to be magnified when everyone's working remotely. Absolutely. And take, for example, the water cooler or coffee breaks conversations. So a lot of people saying, hey, we're missing that. And actually, they're missing nothing. There's no one single point of wizard that shows that those conversations actually created any kind of interactivity. In most cases, those conversations where people criticizing others or having conversations about things that they should have in public... Of course, spontaneity creates some kind of a a spark. And in a creative industry, we need to create those moments the same way that, for example, I mean, IKEA has huge staircases in all their offices. So people go for a fika, a coffee with a piece of cake, and they start like chatting. And one thing takes to another, and they come up with ideas. Or uh, Steve Jobs, many years ago, the former uh, Apple office, he put all the restrooms really far so people have to walk and then they get to interact with people that weren't from their departments and talk about life and work and blah, blah. There's some serendipity that's important, but I think that it's not as effective as we think it is. On their hand, if one thing that we learn a lot about working remotely, it's the difference between shallow work and deep work. 
and the creative work. So there's two things in IG. There's some stuff that you're churning things because the client wants assets and there are ideas, platforms that requires a lot of deep work. If you're in an office or an agency and people are constantly coming to you, interrupting you with day-to-day, the account dies, <laughs> comes with, hey, this is urgent, whatever. How can you come up with great ideas? So I think that how can we protect that deep work, whether you're working in a physical environment or remotely or a combination of both to make sure that people have the quality of time to do, come up with great work. So the business has changed dramatically because in the past, People had months to come up with an idea. Now they have hours to come up with an idea. And I think that we can still course course correct that because we've been moving from one extreme to another. We need to stop and say, hey, guys, are we, are we in the business of great ideas or are we in the business of simply delivering stuff, right? So we need to reframe that. But deep work, creative work requires calmness, requires reflection, requires <laughs> no interruptions, and the serendipity encounters usually are people interrupting you rather than contributing to your creative flow. What would you say would be the ideal mix? Yeah, there's no such a thing as a ideal. So for each company is different. I think that we need to focus more on the work and let the work define the schedule rather than the schedule define the work. So if you're in the midst of a huge project, Maybe you need to spend one or two weeks together hashing it out. You're pitching a new business, whatever. I love that. I I participate in hundreds of pitches, and that's one of the things I miss the most, that energy, that that excitement, working long hours, nights, weekends, whatever, towards one goal. That's purpose, not wanting to win a business. However, so there are some other moments that you don't need to even show up one day a week because it's not necessary. So for me, it's more about defining what projects are we working on, what kind of accommodation we need to define versus pre-establish the cadence. So once again, the work should define that cadence and not the schedule that is fixed define how we work. Okay, I love that. Let's suppose that you have a creative project that requires deep thinking and brainstorming collaboration. If an agency owner is listening to this, some are very fixed in their mind that that has to be done in person because of the energy. You mentioned the energy. Yeah. And others are saying, no, it can be remote. It can be all done remotely. What's your view? They need to experiment. I know that the energy in the room, it's irreplaceable, but that doesn't mean, I mean, we do a lot of brainstorming and creative activities with companies when it comes to their culture from defining values, uh, changing the way they make decisions, come up with a purpose, whatever. And we have fantastic results doing those uh, remotely. So I think that it's different. You need to learn how to do it. So you cannot copy. That's the point. Many people are replicating the same practices that they do in person to remote. And that doesn't work. You need to change the way things work. And what you need we- to work in shorter. Sorry, go ahead. Sorry, no, I, I interrupted you. I was just going to bill you for some tips because I'm with you and that this is great. So there's someone listening is probably thinking, well, tell me how I can do that remotely because I might need to because I've got a remote team or, or they're international based. Once again, I always shy away from giving advice because each client requires a solution. So they're not like, a, this is the list, copy it. No? But for example, we talk about collaboration tools. Tools are just a means to an end. The point is, how do we rethink the way we collaborate? For example, 
the beauty about mural is that you can invite people to do pre-work rather than usually in the traditional world, so to speak, we came to a meeting and prepared and we kick off the conversation there. Mm -hmm. So you can start having an initial conversation before that. So people are already in tune. They have already some ideas, whatever. A silent brainstorming. So we always allow people for a moment in which individuals brainstorm on their own. They capture the idea, so everyone has time to reflect, and then they share, then we build up, whatever. We don't make decisions on the go. So usually in a live brainstorming, you create stuff and then you make decisions right after. No, we take a pause, we let the things simmer, we take some time, maybe people make comments, reflect, and then either asynchronously or in a second moment, we make the decision. So because one thing is when you need to flare, another thing is when you need to basically focus. And when you mix those two mindsets, then people get confused. Now, the typical brainstorming, people are coming with ideas and someone say, no, that's not going to work. Well, you don't want that. So it's more like a process in which you work on smaller uh, moments that combine synchronous, so basically real-time collaboration with asynchronous uh, collaboration. But that requires someone to facilitate that. And you don't need to hire someone like me or an external facilitator. You can train people within the team to facilitate. In the past, we relied on the organic nature and things would find its way. Now we need to be, especially in a remote space, more intentional about how we do things and who facilitates and how we structure those conversations. Lovely tips. Thank you for sharing. What do you see evolving in the future? Can you see the trends that are happening? You mentioned AI. How do you think, particularly the agency industry, things are going to evolve? Have you got any thoughts on that? Yeah, I was thinking in terms of AI, can, I can speak to my own experience. So I think that we need to disrupt ourselves because before someone else does it, right? And I created like a AI version of me, right? I launched it last week and I've been training that <laughs> pastor. <laughs> for months with all my methods and whatever and reacting so basically asking questions and whatever and see what are the directions to make sure it's it stays on tone and whatever so it's the closest thing to to working with me so is that gonna replace and instead of a client hire me as a consultant they're gonna go to ai no but there are many instances in which people are working and they have a small consultation they need someone to brainstorm because I'm, this is not a a, a chat GPT culture version, but it's more of a collaborative. Imagine that you have a virtual 24-7 coach or expert on culture that can address stuff. So you get stuck, you're designing a session, you need to do something, have some of the questions, the AI can tackle them for you. So for me, it's not one or the other, it's the collaboration. And the sooner we get there, the better. So agencies can also come up with a, what's their AI version of them and what are the things that clients can start getting from that yeah i charge my ai they can charge that as well if you know what i mean and then focus their time and their critical resources and talent in those projects that really move the needle and are significant right you might have spiked sparked an idea in someone listening how arduous has it been to upload all of your knowledge and your content to an ai has it taken time has it been an easy process I like to say that this is because I'm having a cold, but this is because of the many hours I spent. Like, <laughs> <laughs> my face is tired. No, it takes a lot of time, but of course, it all depends on the complexity of things. But I think that, for example, setting certain parameters. Now, when it comes to a client brief, 
before jumping into client brief, we need to filter, okay, exactly. Many times clients brief are trying to achieve too many things with no money, with no time, right? So maybe like a, having a, a coach that would help the client like uh, improve their brief before they actually send it to the agency, for example, no, like kind of tough. It's a first uh, step. In digital marketing, there are many assets that we're testing for campaigns, display, whatever search that can be uh, optimized through AI and don't require necessarily so much people. And there are a lot of people that are already doing that. No? So I would start thinking, what are the tasks that are pain in the butt for agencies that never going to go away? And how can we make sure that we make those more efficient? However, AI plays in two ways. One is like many people are seeing like a delegator. So you are the manager and AI is the person you delegate tasks. That's the efficiency part. That's okay. That's But the second part is collaboration, where AI is like a peer or another team member. And I think that's where agencies come up better with. You know what I mean? Like a, not necessarily AI. I don't write articles with AI. I don't do a lot of stuff because it sucks the content, but the process itself Sometimes, so I'm very clear often when I'm, I write an article every week, I have thousands, you know, so I'm making this because of the volume. So people get into my head. However, I ask AI to structure it or give me examples, whatever. Most of the thing that comes up, I never use it, but it helps me clarify ideas because I'm giving feedback to the AI and the feedback I'm giving to the AI, it's actually helping me understand where I want to take that piece. Mm, very interesting. Yeah. So I, I'm not replacing the, I'm not asking to write it. I'm asking to help me clarify where I want to take it. How else have you seen AI employed in your space? You know, particularly you mentioned Mural, you mentioned Miro. All of these tools are starting to embed AI capability. Are there any other sort of tools for collaboration and managing people remotely that you've seen that are more cutting edge or coming through? Yeah, I think that we are starting and there's still a long way to go. I remember when the internet started and we have a modem, dial-up modem that was super noisy and things took ages to download. So I think that that's a great analogy of where we are with AI. The people that came after the first dial-up modems they have a huge expectation for everything to be fast because they never experienced the first wave of the internet experience. So with AI, there are a lot of people that are coming, even though it's still new, and their expectations for the AI to do everything. AI, it's still learning. So a lot of the work that it delivers, it's crap. But we need to learn how to get the best out of it until it becomes better, right? So tools to analyze or, or, or the codify meetings are great. There are a lot of videos like the Crypt that is a great tool for video editing and stuff, especially for internal videos that it's really great. A Mural and Miro have, in, uh, to your point, added clustering. So when you're brainstorming, they can help you with clustering analysis and stuff, but they're still very basic because the problem with that is they, they structure ideas in very rigid groups. So Basically, ideas and being the lowest common denominator. So you need to be careful about it. So they help you organize, but they don't give you the solution by any means. No? But I think they save a lot of time. Yeah, absolutely. In my space for account managers, there's a tool called Poised, which actually mm-hmm. gives you real-time feedback on your energy levels, whether you're using hedging words, whether you're asking enough questions. 
So I think I'm starting to see, to your point, more coaching tools to help you kind of with your performance while managing client relationships. So it will be interesting to see how this evolves. So Gustavo, listen, thank you so much for sharing so many tips. I've made loads of notes and I'll write up some notes for everyone listening to this. Who would you like to hear from? And, you know, what kind of companies do you work with and how can people reach you? Yeah, sure. People can reach out via LinkedIn. I'm the only Gustavo Rassetti with double Z, double T, so that's easy to find. And that's I'm very active there. Or they can email me at gustavo at fearlessculture.design. That's our uh, company uh, email. Uh, we work with different types of companies and we offer, I would say, like three solutions. So we offer a lot of free content. So we have a lot of tools and stuff on our website that people can go there, get all the facilitation guides and, and take the the work by themselves. We also provide training for people who want to know how to do it and then run it. And then we do consulting for companies that want someone to work with them. The approach is always the same. We are in the business of building capacity, not dependency. So many consultancies create that thing that you always need to go back to the consultant to fix everything. Like people that go into therapy and then they cannot live without their therapist. That's not our approach. Our approach is to make sure that people learn how to do it, but then they can take care of their culture on their own. Fantastic. Okay, we'll make sure to put all of the uh, links in the show notes. Gustavo, thank you so much for spending time with me. It's been fascinating and I've really enjoyed the book and we'll also put a link to the book as well. Absolutely. Thank you and thank you for listening and have a great day. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Gustavo and his book, Remote Not Distant, is an excellent read if you want to hear more. And finally, if you're an agency account manager or perhaps you're in charge of an agency account management team, and you're responsible not only for account growth, but also implementing a repeatable process for the whole agency team. I'm currently enrolling for my one-year training and coaching program. It's called Account Accelerator, and it's designed to give those responsible for account growth the entrepreneurial skills, systems, and repeatable processes to embed an account growth culture in their agency. I'm building a community of highly motivated and ambitious account managers who are responsible for account growth. And every level is on my program at the moment, from account manager to client services director to agency owner. So if you'd like more information, please contact me on LinkedIn at Jenny Plant or go to my website, accountmanagementskills.com and you can find out all the information about the Account Accelerator program. I'll see you on the next one.